My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Southern Plains Cable and Wireless, they're over on Gin Avenue in Zare County. They're the ones who provide all that unfettered content which shows the ladies' nay-nays and hoodie-does on the home box office and such. Well, I, of course, will not have such prurience in my domicile, so naturally I do not subscribe. The radio's good enough for me with its Limbaugh's and Hannity's and the like, turns my old RCA model AM-FM into a veritable panoply of hard fact and common sense. But ladies and gentlemen, you may be astonished to learn that I myself recently entered the belly of the beast. For though I do not own a TV, I appeared on my very own television program. Let me explain. See, it all goes back a few weeks when I ran into my young friend Hank coming out of Earl's Plumbing Supply with a new 17-gauge slip joint. We got to talking about his young'uns six-year-old Ambrosia and one-year-old Amanda, and he starts fretting over the state of children's television. See, Ambrosia is an enthusiastic habitué of such fare, an undiscriminating consumer of the digital age. But Hank worries about inappropriate content. As I related some time ago, he banned the Disney Channel in his house over all that danged inclusiveness they're so proud of in Mickey Mouse land. But other channels bring other concerns. As if, for instance, over at this one cartoon show, a fella named Yakko encouraged a gal named Dot to perform an intimate act on a popular Rocky Roller. I dasn't reveal more, but to add the word was supposed to be fingerprints, R-I-N-T-S, not R-I-N-C-E-S. And then there's this what you call Spongebob the children all enjoy where a fish put a coin in a seahorse's butt. And let's not forget this little girl explorer, Dora, who travels every which way without so much as a parental say-so. Hank's in a panic, Ambrosia's going to emulate such behavior, so she'll wake up one morning to find she took off for outer Mongolia. And all that's just the tip of the iceberg, says he. Our children are being exposed to a veritable Sodom and Gomorrah hidden in the Trojan horse of talking animals and singing puppets. Perhaps you should write a letter, says I. To who, says Hank? Everybody on television? Well, I can't think of another solution, I tells him, but to banish television entirely from your home. Oh, I can't do that, says he. Not when old Miss needs my support in the egg bowl. That Southeastern Conference is a pit of vipers. Then there appears to be no remedy, says I, unless all these fancy television people start going to church and let Jesus into their lives. Hank looked pensive a moment, and then he said, Wait a minute. What if someone from round here, a, a man of God who follows the Bible, were to put on a children's show of his own? Oughtn't that attract a healthy audience? It might, says I, but where are you going to find such a fella? My young friend didn't even hesitate when he said, He's standing right before me. You, Farmer Gray, should host such a show. You'd never transgress against good taste and homespun values. I shifted a bit and said, I don't know. The television is an alluring agent that's tempted better than me to sin. 
I might be drawn into the Hollywood lifestyle, which is inconsistent with that of a Christian. Oh, says Hank, you've got the metal to resist such enticements. Besides, I'm not talking about a big network show or nothing. I'm just thinking about something on the local public access. The what? asked I. Public access, says Hank. That's a channel where they let anybody in the community on air. You just think up a show you want to do, go to the studio, and perform for the cameras. Who would do a thing like that? asked, says I. Oh, plenty of folks, Hank says. Nellie Ann DeVries has a baking show, mostly pies and breads, but sometimes a chicken. And Roger Lee Fields has a political talk program where he complains Mitch McConnell is too liberal and keeps trying to call Steve Bannon. Never gets through, though. Even Leopold Dell, who we sometimes wonder about, has a show all on meditation. Meditation, says I. Yeah, replied Hank. He doesn't say much, just mostly sits there with his eyes closed. I think he sometimes falls asleep. Well, says I, I'll think on it and give you a call, but I'm going to have to bat this round my head. Now, when I went to bed that night, I was leading toward an answer of no. But see, when I drifted off to sleep, I was plagued by a very bad dream, a very bad one indeed. In it, Hank's daughter Ambrosia was watching the television, where a sponge in short pants, his face bathed in the light of a thousand fires, was seated on his satanic throne. From there, this misshapen creature was catcalling a line of hoochie-coo dancers, disporting themselves in a most inappropriate manner. Dance for me, cried the sponge, clapping his hands in time to ghostly jazz-age music. Dance like the shady ladies you are. And the gals went on cavorting like jitterbugs, all for his delectation. Suddenly Ambrosia changed the channel. At last, thinks I, she'll find herself some images fit for an impressionable young mind. But all she did was go right from the frying pan into the fire, cause there was a furry puppet in a garbage can, smoking a reefer, and selling fake IDs to three-year-olds. Now I know how I wish to comport myself, says Ambrosia, sounding very articulate for a girl of six. Next thing I knew, she was standing next to her daddy's stolen pickup, which she'd run off the road and into a guardrail. And plain as day, I could see her handing a police officer her counterfeit license as she promised to dance the hoochie-coo for him in order to avoid jail. And you know what that policeman said? He said, Okay. Can you imagine that? A guardian of the law? Fortunately, I never saw what happened next, because I awoke. Awoke and was overjoyed to find that none of what I'd encountered was real, and vowing, ladies and gentlemen, that it never would be. Bright and early the next morning, I called Hank and said, If Ambrosia and her little friends need wholesome fare to keep them on the straight and narrow, then by gosh, Farmer Gray will provide it. Well, Hank was just delighted, and he set the wheels in motion for my television debut. Leopold knows a fellow from Hines Community College what can work a camera pretty well, says he, and maybe your friend Zeke can handle the music if you wish to have any. Also, will you be needing a clown? Do you think a clown will please the children, says I? Oh, yeah, says Hank. All the young'uns love clowns. And games, you have to have games. Games and clowns, says I. Sounds a bit hedonistic. No, no, says Hank. That's how you draw the boys and girls in. Then, when they're least expecting it, you give them a shot of the Bible and morality. They'll turn into good citizens and never see it coming. 
All right, says I. Games and clowns it is then. And we parted with my promise to deliver a fine program for the tots while Hank arranged all the technical what's-its that goes into shooting a television show. So it was that my young friend and I began to forge a new era in children's entertainment hammered out on the anvil of righteousness. Now, as you may or may not realize, clowns are not a particularly useful element in tending a farm, leaving me at a loss as to where I might find one. Thus I called my old friend Davis McClyde, who seems to have his finger on the pulse of the community. And wouldn't you know it, he did indeed say he could rustle up one such jokester for my show. There's quite a famous one over in Quitman County, says Davis. He's all the talk round there. I would be grateful for an introduction, says I, with my friend promising to arrange such. Davis was as good as his word, too, though the circumstances surrounding the interview were baffling. In fact, it was around 12.30 a.m. the next morning when I, like any farmer worth his salt, was fast asleep that I was awakened by the telephone. Turns out it was Davis, and he says, Meet me in half an hour by the abandoned grocery store and sledge. Whatever for, asks I, to which he replies, Cause I want you to meet our clown. Huh, says I, but Davis only said, Trust me. So, puzzled over this strange rendezvous, I nonetheless dressed and, at about 1 a.m., pulled up in front of the boarded-up brick building that my friend had specified. Exiting my truck, I, lo and behold, saw Davis standing next to... Well, I wasn't sure just what it was. The figure was dressed in a black shirt with big white polka dots and white baggy trousers with big black polka dots. The face was covered in white makeup, except for black makeup around the eyes and mouth, and even his clown wig was jet black. And in his hand, he held the strings to a half dozen helium balloons, all black too. Moreover, even as Davis waved at my approach, this gent stood stock still, not even his eyes moving to greet me. Howdy, says Davis. Hello, says I. Uh, who's your friend? This is Claude the Clown, says he. We agreed to be, he agreed to be on your television show. To which I says, but, uh, I mean, what kind of clown are you, Claude? Oh, says Davis, he only talks to me. And even then, not all the time. All right, then, says I, what kind of clown is he supposed to be? He's a creepy clown, says Davis. He stands here outside the abandoned grocery all night and waits for people to drive by and get scared. He even had a write-up in the commercial appeal. With that, my friend removes a folded-up newspaper article from his pocket and hands it to me. Horrifying Harlequin, read the headline, with the piece going on to say that police were looking into complaints of a scary clown appearing at night round Quitman County, giving folks the heebie-jeebies. Uh, Davis, says I, I don't know that we want an eerie kind of clown for our show. I think we want one that brings smiles and laughter. Oh, don't worry about that, says he. Claude can be that kind of clown, too. Why, when he puts his mind to it, he's full of fun. Plus, he'll do it for free. All right, says I. You are a trusted pal, and if you say this fella can get up to riotous antics for the young people, that's all the assurance I need. Fine and dandy, says Davis, adding, By the way, if you'd like a balloon to take home, I'm sure I could prevail upon Claude to give you one. No thank you, says I, and drove off in my pickup. Over the course of the next two weeks, 
I found the other things that would go into an entertainment the children would enjoy. I'm talking about hand puppets with furry animal faces and colored pencils and whirligig tops and the like. Why, I felt more like Santa Claus than Farmer Gray, but doggone it, if today's youth needed a guiding hand, I was going to reach mine right out of the television and point my finger toward salvation. Meantime, young Hank prevailed upon his friends with children to bring him to the studio so we'd have tykes to amuse in person. It'll help the children at home cotton to the show, says he, having other young'uns to watch, to uh, what you call identify with. Very well, says I, but they best be well behaved. Some might be rambunctious, says Hank, but none mean any harm. All right, then, says I. And so it was two weeks later that we were in the little studio at Southern Plains Cable, readying for the premiere of our first episode. Our first episode of a program entitled Farmer Gray's Decent Content Playtime Show for Non-Recalcitrant Children. I added that non-recalcitrant, incidentally, so bad young'uns wouldn't watch. They shouldn't be rewarded, after all. But for those who minded their folks and said their prayers, well... We had quite a time planned for them, yes siree. We had one of those backgrounds, see, a big old square of pine boards, seven feet by eight feet, that I was to stand before, and, and Hanky painted all kinds of crazy colors, just the thing to fetch a tyke's attention. And I had these canvas sacks, what contained all the goo-gaws and whirligigs I'd acquired for the tiny hands of our studio audience. I was going to call them Farmer Gray's Fun Bags, but... I was reminded that might carry the wrong connotation, so I just called them sacks with stuff in them. Adding to the jollity, mamas and daddies of Hank's acquaintance arrived with their offspring, ages five to eight, so that five little moppets occupied the floor Indian style, including Ambrosia, whose television viewing habits had inspired the whole shebang. And of course we had our jolly clown, who Davis was driving to the studio, even as that young fella, Fenner Rawkins, from the community college, fired up his camera and Zeke sat ready at one of them electronic keyboards, primed to play our opening song. Finally, we get the word from Fenner, who says, Rolling, which is camera talk for I've turned it on, and I shouts, Play us in, Zeke! And that he did, with a rollicking rendition of that classic children's tune all around the mulberry bush. I swear, so much heart did he put into it, I could almost see that old monkey chase the weasel. Some of the youngsters, unbidden, even sang along, while I did a little flatfoot dance, recalled from my younger days. And when that ended, we began the show in earnest. Now, I was attired in my brown wool suit, because ministering to the children is serious business, and one that should be dressed, and one should be dressed appropriately for such. But in keeping with the jovial mood I sought to establish, my bow tie was a jaunty red. We have a fine show for you boys and girls, says I. Games and toys and even a happy clown to make you laugh so you split your sides. Five pairs of eyes gaze eagerly from the floor in anticipation of the joys to come. But first, says I, did you all do your chores today? Uh-huh, came the group reply, except for one little nipper, Mikey, aged six, who said, What are chores? So I chuckled good-naturedly and said, I said, Why, chores are the obligations we, you've been prescribed to ease the encumbrances upon your mama and daddy. Do you understand? Mikey shook his head no, 
which was a clear indication that this boy had never done chores at all. Well, young man, says I, since you apparently are not pulling your weight at home, you have no place in Farmer Gray's decent content playtime show for non-recalcitrant children. Therefore, you must absent yourself from the group. Please go face that wall over yonder for the remainder of the program. The boy seemed not to understand this either, so it was plain his folks were implanting neither work ethic nor discipline. He means you have to go stand over there, says Ambrosia, and the lad, at last comprehending, broke into tears. But I remained firm, assuring his parents, who were now on their feet and approaching, that if they did not inculcate proper values, their offspring would meet a sorry fate in this cruel world. He might even marry an Episcopalian, says I, which was enough to shock them back to the cluster of parents behind them. Well, children, says I to the others, let's not let one bad apple spoil the whole barrel. The whole barrel of fun, I mean. With that, I reached into my sack of stuff and pulled out a shiny new top along with something else. And you know what that was, ladies and gentlemen? Why, it was the Holy Bible, with several pages marked, because now it was time for something I called righteous riddles. Now, children, says I, holding up the toy, here on Farmer Gray's show, we don't just give away playthings. After all, this is America, and we don't cotton to communism. No, here we earn what we get, and one of you will win this top if you can answer one of my patented brain-taxing queries. Then I open the Bible and says, Who can tell me which book of the scriptures says, quote, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Got that? The rod of discipline, which all young people should be familiar with. This was greeted by silence, so I tried to encourage them with a little hint, saying, The book comes right before Ecclesiastes, and that's a dead giveaway, just immediately prior, so I'm practically giving you tots the answer. This youngster stared back at me, but not one opened their mouth. Come on, tots, says I. One of you must know where that's from. I'm not even asking chapter and verse. Which book? Noah Ramsey raised his little hand and said, Harry Potter? So I sighed and turned to another page. Perhaps we'll try another, says I. Yes, now here's one that's awful well known. The book of blank contains this quote. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. You hear that, boys and girls? An abomination. And that's from the book of what? Seconds passed, and a couple of the young'uns began to fidget. Good Lord, children, says I. I've seen some of you in church on Sunday. Are any of you listening? What does that do, says Sealy Joe Kirby, pointing at the top, so I replied, It spins around. Does it talk, asked she. I responded in the negative, but she pressed further. Does it show cartoons? No, I told her, it just spins. Does it play music, asked Ambrosia. It knows how to spin, and that's all, says I. That's kind of stupid, says Sealy Joe. Oh, really, says I. Then you can go stand against the wall with your good friend Mikey, what do you think of that? Better than that dumb thing, says she, before going right over and joining the other banished youngster. Just face that wall so you can't enjoy any of the fun, calls I. And then I spun the top just to show the other children how delightful it really was. 
Does it take pictures, asked Noah. I said, no. Then I snatched it up and shoved it back in the canvas bag before asking, does your generation even know what a toy is? At that moment, Davis McClyde arrived in the studio and announced, the clown is here. Good, says I. The three remaining children left can enjoy him. But when he walked in, I, I had my doubts. I thought he was going to jettison those grim clothes, whispers I, for something cheerful, full of colors. I thought so, too, says Davis. Well, he looks like a clown undertaker, says I. The fellow wandered about the room kind of aimlessly, like he didn't know exactly where he was. But trying to put the best face on things, I clapped my hands together and says, I says, look at what we have now, children, a merry funster to brighten our day. Then turning to our visitor, I gasped, you got any tricks and pratfalls to bring down the house, Mr. Claude the Clown? But instead of replying or engaging in buffoonery, all he did was stop in the middle of the floor and stare into space. One of the young'uns, Debbie Deborah Ann, got up and walked over to him. Can I have one of those? asked she, pointing at his black balloons. But he did not move, let alone accommodate her request. Please, asked the girl in that long, drawn-out way a seven-year-old has when she really desires something. In response, you know what he did? Let go of those balloons and let them float up to the ceiling, out of reach. You're mean, says Debbie Deborah Ann, and then she kicked the clown in the shins. Hard. Ow, says Claude, and you're weird, says Noah, and then he ran over so he could kick the clown too. Ambrosia, to her credit, didn't kick him, but she did punch him in the tummy several times. Within seconds, Claude was cowering against the back wall, trying to shield himself from the blows, and a moment later, the fella began to cry. Please stop, wails he. I know I'm a bad clown. I tried to be a funny one, but nobody laughed at me, so I tried to be a scary one, and now everyone's hurting me. Stop that, children, says I, and go stand against the wall. You too, Ambrosia, I seen what you done. Such infamy. Henceforth, this will likely be known as the day the clown cried. Then, with my entire studio audience being punished and clawed in tears, I looked right at the camera and said, You tiny tots out there will also meet discipline if you fail to do chores, disrespect your elders, and physically attack innocent, albeit creepy, individuals. So watch it. Oh, and don't forget to tune in next time for more fun. The parents then collected their offspring, with not one of them thanking me for taking a firm hand. Hank did, however, offer to help me retool the show if necessary, adding, we might want to aim for some level of, uh, I don't know, charm. And you know what little Mikey did before following his folks out the door? He says to me, he says, by the way, those quotes of yours were from Proverbs 22.15 and Deuteronomy 22.5, which I could have told you if you weren't so nasty. Then he blew a raspberry and left. Well, Davis and I got Claude to stop crying and bucked him up by saying he was a scary clown and that normal children, not so rambunctious as these, would no doubt be terrified of him. And the balloons, they're a nice touch, says I. Then we took him to Billy Deer's Tavern off Mississippi 3 and promised to drive by and say hello next time he was occupying a street corner in the middle of the night. As for the show, the public access says they'll run it as soon as they can find the right time slot. When I asked what time that might be, the lady on the phone said, sometime when children and adults aren't watching. I couldn't help her. I don't know when that is. No, sir. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>
Brooklyn.